the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood, the only Baltimore podcast that had a host reporting live from TPC Sawgrass this week. It's a loaded show today, boys. Lots to get to, including our interview with the Hall of Fame with the Maryland legend Gary Williams. We will pick an all-time Maryland basketball starting five in our starting five segment as well. But I think we've got to start here with Ravens free agency you know, now sort of a couple days into the free agency window, some have departed, some have stayed, some have come to Baltimore. Banks, I'll toss it to you here. Your biggest takeaway uh, from this kind of first, you know, 48 to 72 hours of free agency for the Burrs. The Ravens are doing what the Ravens do. They are playing free agency the way that they have done from an organizational philosophy standpoint for years and years and years and years. I said it towards the end of day one of free agency. Things are quiet at the castle. Spending in free agency is for losers, which is the most interesting part as you're watching the Patriots just sign everybody in sight, which is, I mean, we might... We could get into that. I don't know what that is. I'm very confused by it. But um, yeah, the Ravens have this whole operating philosophy that I uh, I don't want to butcher it, but it's it's along the lines of if you can get a player for 80% of their usage or their, their usefulness or their 80% um, one player over another, if you can get that player for 20% of the cost, then that's that's something you just simply have to do. It's just like a formula that's brought this this organization a lot of success over the years. And when you see a guy like Matt Judon go out and get, uh, what were the terms of it, 13 and a half million a year, something like that. And um, Gakwe, I, honestly, I thought he he may have short sold himself, but uh, he got, what, 13 million, two for 26. Um, yeah, Judon, four for 56. And Ngakwe was a two-year deal for 26. Yeah, they're bringing back Tyus Bowser on, um, you know, they're not really, he's not really a pass rushing specialist as much as he's just a uh, a coverage outside linebacker and he does a lot of those types of things. He's well-rounded and he can stop the run a little bit. Um, he might not do the things that uh, Judon and Yannick do, but um, you could tell that they had a lot of confidence in him as this entire season went on and they feel pretty good about his ability to, um, I mean, they're paying him for four years so shorter term than I believe that these other other two guys got. And the average annual value is less than half for each of them. So um, I think they're getting a steal in keeping Bowser and they're just setting themselves up in a year where the cap is pretty tight um, to maneuver and prioritize the types of things that they want to prioritize. Um, now I know there's a lot of amateur scoop artists out there and I, you know, I'm, I'm an amateur myself, but I, I, there's a lot of people who's throwing some stuff out there, um, regarding Orlando Brown jr. The trade, um, from what I'm hearing, the Ravens just aren't getting, uh, offers up to the standard that, that they're looking for. What some people have said about DJ Chark, to my knowledge is just simply not true. Um, although you never know, like they could look at the, the options there and, start to talk about it but from what i've heard that's not a thing um and the ravens aren't really prioritizing wide receiver as much as everyone seems to want them to be which is ravens you know offseason at its finest that's what they've done for years there's a lot of receivers out there and that kind of veteran 
you know, probably seven or eight million a year range that um, are probably more pricey than the Ravens need to pay. And so they're going to find a cheap option and probably attack in the draft. Who knows? But um, I, I just know that the offensive line was a priority. They went out and addressed that with Kevin Ziegler. Um, he's a veteran. He's, he's awesome when it comes to pass protection, which was an issue at times last season on the interior. Um, and he can, he can run block with, with some of the best of them too. So um, that was a big signing and he doesn't affect the draft pick uh, compensation formula at all, which we love. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's shaping up to be a very Ravens uh, off season here. Does, does that move make it seem to you like they're going to move Bozeman to center? That would seem to be the case at this point. Um, I don't want to rule out any further moves from what I'd heard. They were, potentially going to target two offensive linemen and that didn't necessarily mean free agency either. But um, I think that they have a lot of flexibility and comfort with his ability to move to center and kind of move around some pieces and um, have some options there. Cause I know they like Ben powers too. So um, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of options on the table, but they, they definitely want to fortify that, that offensive line. Yeah. I think, I think, by signing a veteran like Zietler, it sort of gives you some cover as some of these younger offensive linemen, especially in the interior, come along um, that they've drafted. Obviously, they really like Bozeman, as you said. You have guys like Tristan Colon-Castillo that played last year. You have Tyree Phillips, who could theoretically play on the outside or the inside, but played inside last year and had some struggles at times. Um, you have Ben Power. So they have a lot of guys in there that, that – you know, maybe aren't all the way there yet, and Zietler gives you some cover. And as you said, Banks, it wouldn't surprise me if they signed another offensive lineman. It's really been all in the trenches so far for the Ravens, both really in terms of departures and who they've brought back. But uh, to go over them all real quick as we talk here, Derek Wolf, this just happened before we recorded, four years, 12 million. Tyus Bowser, they bring back four years, 22. Pernell McPhee, a one-year deal, makes a lot of sense, I think, to bring him back after he was productive at the end of the year. I think, Banks, you tweeted it, kind of a good guy to fill out your roster. Um, Chris Board comes back as well, one year for $1.6 million. And Justin Ellis comes back one year, $1.2 million, another uh, defensive tackle there. We already covered it. Lose Judon, losing Gakwe, as we've said for weeks, months at this point. Seemed like the writing was on the wall with both those guys. They both depart. As you said, Yannick Ngakwe's contract year, tough scene. For yeah. him to go out after the beginning to the career he had and get two years, 26, you know, $13 million a year is nothing to sniff at. He's going to be, you know, set for life. But I'm sure he took a short-term deal here to try to get paid again in two years, and clearly the market was not there to pay him long-term. So, you know, as a, you know, Maryland Terrapin alum, I feel bad for him in that sense, but there's a reason he did not produce as a Raven and, and in Minnesota when he went there either. I'm I'm interested to see now what they do at the wide receiver position. Do they address that in the draft, or as you said, get one of these veterans? The market does not seem big for wide receiver right now, at least in terms of years or money. So someone could slip to the Ravens, maybe a more veteran guy like you know. You think of like you know, T.Y. Hilton is out there or somebody like that, or maybe someone uh, that's a little younger. They might have to pay a little bit more like a Will Fuller V, my guy. Um, but there just doesn't seem to be a great market for it, um, unless you're Nelson Aguilar or Kendrick Bourne because the Patriots yeah. just continue to pay everybody. So um, it, it'll be interesting. But, yeah, as you said, Banks, they're just doing what they do. It's not long years. It's not big money. 
They're filling in the gaps. And now you're going to have cap casualties too. That's the other thing that's about to happen is the next couple weeks, guys are going to get signed. Those teams are going to cut people. And the Ravens prey on that stuff a Team, lot of the time. Teams need to get under the cap by 4 p.m. tomorrow by rule. So I think a lot of the cuts that we saw today are precursors to maybe the last kind of round of cuts here yeah. before 4 p.m. tomorrow. And there's probably a lot of teams just trying to figure out some trades or, or holding out in the last moment to try to shop some of these guys that will, that will eventually um, be cut. So I think the Ravens, like like you kind of mentioned, like they thrive on the whole draft pick uh, formula thing. And if they go sign somebody that's one less pick that they receive for having lost um, Judon and Yannick and, and Chris Moore, who you didn't even mention, by the way. Um <laughs> Oh, sorry, I forgot about Chris. My apologies to Chris Moore. Yeah, how could you forget about Chris Moore? How could you forget about yeah. Chris Moore? Um, I think before we started recording, I called him the most inconsequential, sort of longly tendered Raven of all time. And that's no <laughs> offense to the guy, but he essentially did nothing. As he was a cockroach. It was pretty was incredible. He feel he he fielded some punts, you know, in coverage, and um, he maybe caught a couple passes. The play. There's a play like a year or two ago where he was wide open down the left sideline and he just like, there's nobody within 15 yards of him and he just had his foot out of bounds and he caught it and it was incomplete pass because of that. It was like, like a the third story down of his career. Two. It was just, oh my God, the 2017 Bengals New Year's Eve game. The game flipped on him dropping a ball, getting hit, and then it became like a pick six 80 yards the other way. That's the reason we didn't make the playoffs. You could make a case, you, Chris. Anyways, um, yeah, as of like an hour and a half ago, the list at least is like Curtis Samuel, Kenny Galladay, Will Fuller, T.Y. Hilton, Keelan Cole, Juju Smith-Schuster, Sammy Watkins, Antonio Brown, John Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Rashard Higgins, Josh Reynolds, A.J. Green. There's a whole list of guys out here, and you know, a lot of these, if not all of them, are going to get signed by somebody. There's no reason to rush out and and get one of these guys and overpay for it. In my opinion, I know a lot of people are clamoring for Kenny Galladay. Um, I can see why, but um, yeah, it's it's the way that our offense is set up. We're just not a team that is going to throw 50 times. That really needs to to put a ton of investment into the receiver position, and I think a lot of people have a tough time coming to grips with that or understanding it. And then they say, why? Like, why they complain and complain and complain about the wide receiver thing. And they say, this is why we, you know, haven't won a championship in nine years. And like, okay, that's a fair case to make, I suppose. But the reason why we win on a consistent basis and win 10 games every year at a, it seems like at a minimum and make the playoffs, you know, 75, 80% of the time for the last, you know, 20 years is because we don't go out and overspend in free agency. We stick to our organizational philosophies. Um, and you just, you, that's like, you just have to stick by those. And, um, and I think that goes even further with the way this team's constructed right now. So um, it's clear that the Ravens are looking to build on the offensive and defensive lines because they play physical football and they have an awesome secondary that's pretty much set. So they might as well fortify the offensive line to make sure the run game doesn't lose any steam or even improves over last season. And um, really, I think the place that we need to focus is the pass rush. I think we just need to get one edge rusher 
And if you get one in the draft, they're usually not ready to make an impact in year one. So um, we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, the pass rushing thing is going to be very interesting to watch. As you said, do they go for a guy late in the first round or do they try and address that um, at some point um, over the over the next couple of weeks as, as people get cut in the next 24 hours? Um, or do they kind of grab one of these other pass rushers? Uh, let me make this clear. You're, you guys' guy, this is your guys' guy, Jason Lacanfora. Let's just make that oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Your guy's guy, whoa, whoa. Jason Lacanfora. Don't you put that devil on me. Ravens keeping tabs in the market for Melvin Ingram, Kyle Van Noy, Carlos Dunlap. Um and then reunion with Tyus Bowser possible as well, which doesn't really tell, tell us anything. Tyus Bowser is back. Um, Jeremy Fowler had Hassan Reddick as a potential uh, signing for the Orioles from, from ESPN. So guys are going to be out there. I think the Ravens will end up picking up a guy like that, you would think. I don't think they can just address this through the draft. They've got to go out and find someone that can rush the passer in free agency and, and, and take a spin with somebody that maybe it's a little undervalued. I, I don't think you can just go into the draft and just – pick up pass rushers because the pass rushers that are great in the draft go in the top 15 pick because everybody yep. wants one. Um, you know, they, they had success and found Judon late in the draft, but you can't, when you're trying to win a title and you're in this window, you can't bet on your fifth round picks walking in and being productive. So two, they, three they year projects. To, they've got to go, right find, they've got to go and find one guy like that um, and, and see what happens. It, it's the, the Ngakwe thing is so interesting. You know, the Ravens probably couldn't have got him at that price, but ended up being a pretty manageable price for a guy that I think 18 months ago you would have thought would have gone for way more money but kind of played himself unfortunately mm-hmm. for him so that's that's sort of where we stand RDT your Titans are are, are Adoree Jackson gone I mean free agency has been wild in general this Patriots thing I think we can we can touch on this for a second mm-hmm. I mean what a spend what a spend for and I think Ravens fans always make a special point to pay attention to the Patriots arrival, uh, you know, always at the top of the AFC. And this has been one of the all time curveballs of a spending spree. It's been a wild divergence from what they seem to do. Cause I, I like to think that the Ravens and the Patriots do a lot of things similarly and how they spend and how disciplined they are. And this is just a, such a wild divergence from what they they usually do. And I'm not, it's, I, I'm just not sure what it's about. It's like, what are you doing, man? Like, it's almost suspicious. I, I, it seems like they're, they're trying to, to build something in order to make some sort of big play for something else. You know, some people are suggesting that they might try to go get a quarterback like Deshaun Watson or something. I don't know, but it's, confounding and um i'm i know it sounds like i'm worried about it but i'm, I'm really not <laughs> um the thing the thing the one thing that i think makes some sense is that you know when you spend in free agency um if you go negative in that that compensation pick formula you don't there's no penalty for that so you might as well just keep spending if you know if you might as well send it in one free agency period and not half send it in you know three or four in a row and you just don't get compensation picks in that one year and then you can go right back to it the next year does that make sense makes sense to me yeah it makes sense to the listeners 
But you, you lo- I, let me tell you what, no one likes talking comp picks more than you, Bang. I love comp, comp picks because I know my guy Eric DeCosta loves comp picks. Gets the man going. It gets me going. Now, you were talking about everything that the Patriots being suspicious and all that. It's not as suspicious as a four-year, $140 million contract, all fully voidable. That was, that's been the main thing. That was the weirdest thing ever. I was in players' championship mode when that came out and was also at, at my, my parents' house celebrate my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. Um, nice. So I was not very focused on the Taysom Hill thing, but I, I saw that flash across my timeline when I took a peek down on my phone, and I was like, what? Like, I, checked, I checked four times to make sure that it was actually Adam Schefter. Yeah, yeah. And then I never went back and like dug into what that was really about, but I I I kind of hate what they're doing there. I, I don't think either of those guys are the answer, and I no. think they think this is a if you've got two quarterbacks, you don't have one situation for the for the New Orleans Saints. Tell that and to maybe the, Sean the Payton is team. enough of a and the football team do the exact same thing. They've got two quarterbacks. I mean, they're going in with a Kyle Allen, Fitzmagic. Um, Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke, Heineke, dude. Competition. No, I had it. I was trying to think. I was trying to make sure I didn't mispronounce that. Um, after I looked up Zietler for like 20 minutes before this. Um, yeah, just I don't know. I don't know how that works. It's 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 been a weird NFL free agency. The all time buzz kill for a franchise was the Bears going from <laughs> Russell Wilson trade rumors to the. Andy I Dalton felt so signing. bad for them. That is just but, one of the but, toughest scenes. Like Schefter said, they tried. They tried. They that, did that, try. That like follow up tweet was was even funnier than like them getting Dalton. The well, funny part really is, hard. yeah, I mean, you can't even. <laughs> why would Seattle trade Russell Wilson? I mean, that's the that's the other thing. Like, they might as yeah. well bring him back and see if they can work it out. You don't just trade him. I love the Sam Darnold that that he's in love with Sam Darnold. <laughs> Pete Carroll, yeah, like Pete Carroll loves Sam Darnold. They love like, Sam not, Darnold. Not enough so, to trade Russell Wilson. Yeah, that's just a dagger to the Jets fans. They just get them all riled up. So. Yeah, the Ravens will continue to work here in free agency. I think it's it's you know not to pat ourselves on the back. I think in our analysis of stuff over the last month and a half, we kind of saw this type of free agency window coming for the Ravens. The guys that walked have walked. You know, we thought they would address it with an offensive lineman. They went out and got Zietler and then brought some guys back on cheap deals like your Tyus Bowser and your Derek Wolfs and things like that. I told everybody not to get their hopes up about wide receivers. I just hope you guys were listening. That's a great way to end. The great way to end the initial free agency discussion. Uh, speaking of free agents, I mean, are the Baltimore Orioles spending to win right now? That's that's really the question. <laughs> Michael Franco to Baltimore, clearly to get flipped for the trade deadline. Um, that's really the only explanation at this point. Yeah, it's can he hit can he hit two eighty five, fifteen homers or whatever. Yeah, I mean, shit. See on a contender. He'll bat flip the the hell out of it if he does. I mean, that's all I was looking up today was that bat flip he had for the Phillies. Um, yeah, I mean, it is. They said he was going to be someone that to come in and push um, Rio at third, and then today they were like, oh, by the way, he may play first. He may play some outfield. So it's like maybe they're trying to get as many bats in there as they can. And my my big takeaway from that was like they're just keep they just keep adding people at first base and just pushing Chris Davis farther and farther down the list. Which yeah, that's true. Really, doesn't really mean much, but that guy's back still hurting because he took one swing in spring training like three weeks ago. Um, I mean, it's you know, it's another body, and like you said, maybe you flip him, maybe you can get something for him. And thanks for the thanks for the uh, prospect, and we'll see you later. But um, I don't know. It was an interesting signing, so I'm, I'm 
I'm anxious to see what he what he looks like and uh, where they end up playing him. Yeah, one year, eight hundred thousand dollars for Michael Franco. That's, that's pennies. Pennies. Um, who hit? Who was not bad last year? Hit two seventy eight, sixteen doubles, eight homers, thirty eight RBIs for a an atrocity of a Kansas City Royals team um, in the pandemic shortened season. This is his contract details, which are just so interesting for a guy that's making eight hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollar performance bonus if he reaches four hundred plate appearances. He would get two hundred and fifty thousand dollars if he gets traded. So he he is he is getting <laughs> told to play well to get flipped to somebody else. I love that. Like I think that that needs to be a clause in in a lot of contracts. Um so that's 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 a very interesting uh a very interesting signing. And a little note here in the in the article uh, about the signing. Originally signed by uh Kobe Perez who's now the uh at the Phillies who's now the Orioles senior director of international scouting. So a little yes. bit of a connection there. Um Matt Harvey and, and the Felix Hernandez experience just continues on. Um, Matt Harvey hit 96 on the gun. Cy Young. Rowan Shedd. The ball was moving. I saw some Instagram videos he posted. The ball was flicking all around. Um, yeah, and then, and then I think, what was it, King Felix was supposed to go two or three innings today and left after one, which is weird. He struck out two of the three guys in the first inning, and then he didn't come back out. And we, we were told that he was going to go two or three. I forget how many, but it's like, he had, I think, right elbow discomfort, but it's like, Stark got two out of three. He must have been feeling all right. Yeah, as you said, came out. It, it's, it seems like Hyde, Hyde said after the game, just kind of wanted to play it safe. They, they, yeah, something about his, something um, his, his body language, and they could tell he wasn't feeling great and, and stuff like that. And No, no need to rush. Uh, cleaning up on a couple other things here. Uh, Hunter Harvey to the 60-day DL. Um, about right. uh, with a, with a strand oblique, which as you said, is about right. Um, and then Mike Elias on Michael Franco's addition, um, makes our team deeper, protects us in a long season, uh, says he could play first and be a designated hitter. As you said, th- this Chris Davis thing is going to get all kinds of untenable. It's, I mean, it's already untenable, but they're just going to not play him. I mean, he is just going to be sitting there making what he's making and just not play. Dallas had a good point on starting nine um, where they, they, you know, they were talking about what do you, what do you do with them? And he said, if you're a young team like this and you're again, everyone knows you're already paying him. He's like the last, like, you know, you're going to be bad. You, you absolutely know you're going to be bad. Why would you just sink yourself that much lower by, by playing it? He's like, just, just cut bait, get, get the elephant out of the room. And, and then that's when you start moving on and you don't have those guys asking, you know, getting asked about it all the time. And, and how do you deal with it? And so he was like, I would just, I would get rid of him, and I would say thanks for everything, and and you know, hopefully you get picked up somewhere. I don't think he will, but it it was, it was an interesting point, which I tend to agree with. Yeah, I don't know how the what the machinations are for like, can you DFA him? Can you just real like I don't even know what the contract situation is. With a guy making twenty three million dollars, I'm not sure how the Orioles eat that. Mm-hmm. You just get rid you, of them. You just eat it. You just pay it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. they're gonna have to pay it anyway, I guess. But that's just that would be that would be a tough, tough situation. Um, yeah. Is it a tough situation, Taylor? Has mm-hmm. it been a tough situation? It's a tough situation. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just, I mean, it's just you think we, we've talked about this multiple times on this show. It is a, just a depressing situation. It's a no. depressing sports situation. No, I think that I wouldn't be doing my due diligence here. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't just warn everybody. Don't let Crush get hot. 
Don't. But if he gets hot. Horrible. I mean. Yeah, but he's got to play to get hot. Yeah, yeah, I know. You shoot to get hot, you know. So, you know, just saying. You got to throw him out every once in a while. That that, that first oppo taco. <laughs> oh, when he goes oppo taco for the first time this year, the, if he ever the gets best, a chance. The this, best is those this, tweets this is every time discussion. where – he goes oppo and they say, you know what? That's how you know he's seeing the ball well. Is he yeah, going oppo. He's that, it, that's man. when you know. That's mm-hmm. when you, you're seeing 2013 Chris Davis. <laughs> yeah, the 2013 <laughs> Chris Davis tweets. Oh, man. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to do with any of what you guys just said right there. That's just, I mean, this is not good. This is done. This is done. This is done. Chris Davis stinks. Oh. Uh, Cedric Mullins, 308, batting 308. In spring training, the Orioles are. <laughs> Four and eleven in spring training right now. Uh, shout out to Mason McCoy, uh, former uh, player in the Big Ten, played for Iowa when I was watching Big Ten baseball, hitting four hundred in spring training mm. for the Birds. So there you go, great takeaway. Um, it, we turn to Maryland Terrapins basketball, ten seed in the tournament, play UConn on Saturday, big win over Michigan State to get them off the bubble potentially. Although I think they were still going to make it as a as a first four team or one of the first four buys. Bubble was unbelievably soft this year um, as, as teams fell off for COVID reasons, including RIP Duke, um, as they, they fell off what they it. were doing. Mm. But Yeah, Terps, Terps with a winnable game here against a UConn team. Uh, this is an exit 52 matchup. Our, our guy, Marty, uh, a UConn graduate. So this, this is a sort of a, a family affair here in this one. But no dominant big men for UConn. That helps the Terps. Uh, a fiery coach in Danny Hurley. Uh, James Booknight is really good. Daryl Morsell will get the assignment there, I'm sure. And uh, we'll see if the Terps can win a game. If they win, they will play an Alabama team that is tremendous. I don't know if either of you guys watched the SEC a tournament championship. They're good. They a great offensive team. Yeah, Nate and Oates. You'll see what pretty, happens. Pretty there. good coach. Would have He's been, a hot coach right now. Would have been big, would right have been nice to maybe get a Nate Oates, but, you know. There it is. Yeah. By the way, do you – Would have been nice. That's all I'm saying. Taylor, I'm sure you remember. There's some history between Turge and Hurley. Oh yes, yeah. Hurley kind of tried to fight him at a at a multi-team event. Three. Or Wasn't it? Where ago. was that? Bahamas or was that Orlando? I can't remember. It it was Puerto no. Rico? It was on an island somewhere. Puerto Rico. Yeah. I think well, everything technically is on an island. It was. It, it, I, was it the? Were Paris? we out that night? You and I, Eric. I think we may have been at Looney's Maple Lawn. I I could see that. I was at. Um, I'm pretty sure I was in um, uh, Fells Point one? for yeah. that one because mm. I was not. I had no responsibilities at that point in terms of the uh, the men's basketball proceedings. They had said like Hurley's like cursed at some of the Terps players going off, and and you know someone else said something, and and it, it got kind of chippy. So I'm interested to see. I mean, Turgeon might just start the fight club now. <laughs> like he he is just going out there trying to fight anything. Oh no, I was out for the for the Emerald. No, not for, yeah for the Emerald Coast Classic. It was Rhode Island, right? That was the year before Rhode Island. Oh, why can I not find this? This is such a tough scene. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Turge, you know, obviously went at it with Juwan Howard the other day. Um, which I mean, I mean, we don't have to get too far to that, but Hunter Dickinson. Um, just an listener of the podcast. Listener of the podcast. Yeah, he's listening to. I don't know what podcast he's listening to. Uh, it was in Cancun. Mm. Um, in Cancun in tw- the twenty fifteen sixteen season. Um, the number two Terps uh, captured the Cancun Challenge Classic. 
uh, Cancun Challenge title. Melo Trimble was 17 on 7 for 7 from the field. Uh, Rashid Suleiman scored 17. Robert Carter 15 in that one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, played them last year as well. But obviously Hurley was not there last year. Uh, played them in a home game. So, yeah, March Madness. I love that March Madness is back. I mean, th- we got denied it last year. What an incredible time of the year. Game- for game start on Thursday. Shout out to our staff and players are in the bubble getting through that but how nervous were, were you guys watching it being the third what third to last team picked right it's funny that herder tweeted that because that happened a couple years ago too and they were like the team. last team they were they? the last team in uh no because once you saw first of all once you when you were watching it once you saw michigan state in the in the uh the first four game michigan you knew louisville mm-hmm. was out because louisville there's no lay louisville's a 10 seat they just just no chance so at that point I guess you're always kind of nervous. I was never really that nervous. When I saw Rutgers get a 10 seed, that's when I was like, didn't they get it? They get Rutgers got a 10? Rutgers got a 10. Yeah. I was like, Maryland has to be like an 8 or a 9. And then that's yeah. when I was started to be like, when I saw that, that last like 9 and 8, I was like, oh, that's – And it was filled like, in because it was starting to fill in because UConn had to get in. They weren't <laughs> going to be above a 7. So they filled it in as the 7. So once the Michigan State UCLA, I was like, this is going to be UConn, Maryland in the 7-10. Um, so, no, not nervous. Um Timing wise, could have been better though. Like, yeah, let's, I mean, let's nice work to... on that. Yeah. <laughs> At least they didn't do it alphabetical. Like, what three or four years ago? They did get those brackets out pretty quickly. This was like a decent selection show. They fired yeah, be, those things out. They won't because do the again. one time that they didn't, it was like people yeah. were ready to yeah, storm that was the a total disaster. They were gonna storm. People and, just want to see the bracket. You don't need to stretch. The, I mean, I get they stretch the show because they want people to watch for ratings for a more extended period of time. But just get them out. People aren't, like, t- immediately turning the selection show off. Here's mm-hmm. some analysis. Here's Seth Davis make a really bad pick. Like, you, you, you got to, like, get through all those things. That's just how the selection show kind of goes. It's uh, also impressive that they managed to not be leaked every year. Like, Well, a couple of years ago, the women's one got leaked, which was a disaster. It did yeah. like, just flashing across ESPN for, like, an hour. Yeah, it was, like, UConn number one, Maryland number two, South yeah. Carolina yeah, one. Just, people, someone just pieced it together. Um so yeah, uh, it should be it should be interesting to to watch more. We ha- do have to give a shout out also Mount St. Mary's in the tournament as well, another <laughs> Maryland area team. Uh, they will play in the first four, so for the right to play <laughs> Michigan. Uh, shout out, shout out to the NEC. Shout out to the NEC. Almost had a couple other teams in it. Uh, Morgan State was in the MIAC final um, after beating Coppin State, Juan Dixon's Coppin State in the semifinals. Kevin Brodus, former Maryland assistant, the head coach at Cop, head coach at Morgan, but they lost to Norfolk State in the MIAC final. So. Um, more, more, more Baltimore, more Maryland area teams had a chance to be in. Uh, speaking of Maryland, and speaking of March Madness, and speaking of absolute legends, we had the all-time Maryland legend Gary Williams on the show this week. Uh, just a tremendous conversation. I- I've had him on on my other podcast for Man Athletics, Hear the Turtle before. Your guy's first time talking to Coach. I mean, he's just he's just tremendous. The guy like. You can tell how much he enjoys and just loves basketball. He just remembers everything with a with a sharp, vivid memory, and like it felt like we could have talked for days. In fact, we kind of like went, we kind of like wrapped up the interview, and then we just kind of kept going after we hit finish because he just had more thoughts, and we just like kind of kept going. And I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna leave it in. Like we just left the record button on just because usually I cut it down, but. Um, we're probably going to leave a good chunk of that in because I thought that some of the stuff he said was some of the best stuff he said just about Grievous and all that. So um, if you got a problem with that, Coach, sorry. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, the stuff he said about Greg continues to say. I mean, as you said, we could have gone for five hours with him. I mean, there's just so many things you can touch on. Maryland stuff, ACC stuff. I mean, he just coached so many legendary players that resonate around here. and Hall of Famer. Know, are, I mean, already t- yeah, yeah. He's a legend. That's all that needs to be said. This this was an interview where I was texting texting YouTube before, and I was like, "There's a there's a degree here of starstruckness that could develop here." Like and Chris Farley, like yeah, it's that? like this guy is awesome. somebody I grew up, you know, for for as long as I can remember, just being a legend. Like he just, you know, and then being there for for two of my four years at University of Maryland, he was the coach, and um, seeing that t- 2009 2010 season. Um, that we kind of got into a little bit in the interview. Like that's just my, maybe my favorite season of any of my teams, which is really saying a lot, but it feels personal just because when you're a student and you're in the crowd and Grievous Vasquez is there kind of whooping up the crowd and like he was the ultimate showman out there. Um, it, it, it really feels like you're part of the team in those moments. And I, I just, it's not to get real cheesy and sappy or whatever, but it holds kind of a special place in my heart and my, you know, in terms of memories and all that. It does kind of suck that we never got to really say goodbye to him. Like it was kind of yeah. like, cause you remember, it's not like, obviously you don't, a lot of times you don't get a, a full retirement tour as for a coach or whatever, but it's like, it came on that Cinco de Mayo. I remember I was drinking margaritas yeah. and it just, you know, you get the text or the notification. It's like uh, Gary Williams retires. So it's like, you never, you never really got that final, like, thank you for the championship and, and all the great games and stuff like that. So yeah. it's, it's neat that he's stuck back around the area. And I know we, he, he plugged the podcast a little bit, Taylor, you did too. Um, so it's, it's neat to see him back in the media game and, and still, uh, still bumping around and, and getting involved. Yeah. It's, 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 it's awesome. He, he, I think he's a tremendous ambassador for Maryland and, and he gave a great answer in there um, about sort of what Mer- makes Maryland special. Um, and has been back at the Xfinity Center so many times beyond her with various teams and individually and, and, and as you said, has been sort of a part of the media game as we've gone. So let's get into our conversation with the Hall of Famer, Gary Williams. Something magic happens. We're back here on the Exit 52 podcast with the Hall of Famer, Maryland legendary coach and contributor to the DC Coaches podcast, Gary Williams. Coach Williams, thanks so much for coming on. As you just said, you get popular for about a week here making appearances, but what does March Madness, the kind of feeling of that, bring to you uh, this week and over the course of the next three or four weeks? Well, March Madness, it's, I, I think every coach, you know, even if you're a high school coach, you know, you, you think, and I was a high school coach, you think that, man, I'd love to do that sometime, and then when you get a chance to do it, it's, it's just it's a fantastic feeling because it, it, you know you had a successful season, you know, if, you, if you're playing in March. Plus, just the, the whole atmosphere as, as a basketball fan is just something that, you know, it's become the probably the second biggest sporting event in the United States behind the Super Bowl. And it, it's just amazing how it fits in in a normal year, how it fits into a three-week period. And it just builds as it goes. And, you know, the, the great stories of, of the upsets of – you know, the teams that come from nowhere that are really good in a tournament, uh, that, that's all part of it. And, um, you know, I was just, just lucky to be a part of it. Coach, the NCAA has figured out how to kind of cobble together this season, and now they've got the three-week bubble in Indianapolis. How would you have responded to this environment as a coach where you're not traveling each week and you're sort of staying around all of your potential opponents for the entire time? 
Well, it's, it's different. It's completely different. This whole year has been different, though. Some teams have played less games than others. Some have practiced weeks less than others. So it's, it's not a level playing field this year, but everybody knows it and everybody has accepted it because not having the NCAA tournament last year, everybody knows how that felt. And everybody, the NCAA, the, the colleges, you know, the universities, they've all pushed to make this happen. And, you know, you, nobody likes the idea, well, I couldn't practice for two weeks where my opponent practiced every day they had a chance to practice. Well, that, that's not fair. Well, that's not what it's about this year. The, the whole thing this year is to play the tournament, and they're going to do it. So I think it's a pretty good accomplishment. Yeah, so it's a changing landscape, not just this year, but it's been a wildly changing landscape in college basketball over the last decade or so since since you completed your career. Um, if you were to be the commissioner of NCAA hoops, uh, what would you change about um, during your tenure at Maryland uh, for college basketball as a whole? And then what about now? Well, I, I think uh, you have to be careful that all this legislation they're talking about, uh, whether you should pay players, not pay players, play payers, pay players for their likeness, things like that. The most important, most good teams have, you know, if you're a power conference team, if you have one guy that eventually plays in the NBA, that's a lot. So it seems to me that a lot of legislation the NCAA talks about is to take care of that one guy. You know, like you have to pay a guy for his likeness. Well, in college, you're not going to pay – your, your, your fifth player in your team, fifth best player, any money for a likeness. So you got one guy sitting there making $100,000, and the other guys are on scholarship. So that, that, that creates a problem. Plus, you know, the, the NCAA has done a pretty good job of, you know, players get all they want to eat now. They get the best tutoring. They get the best strength people working with them. So it's, it's a great chance to develop as a player if you're there for four years. It's a great chance to get an education. I think the whole education component has kind of been missing for a while now. It's got it's because the guys that don't play professionally need the education. The guys that play professionally, they usually do okay, you know. And, but it's the guys that don't, you know, get to do that. So hopefully, it swings back a little bit, you know, in those areas. But you know, the way a lot of uh, legislatures are now. You know, if a couple states pass that you can pay players, it's going to happen, you know, because those, those, those states, say the state of California, what a tremendous advantage that is for those schools if they can play a player, but somebody in Maryland can't play a player. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So we'll see. Coach, I mentioned we're, we're sort of a Baltimore-centric show, and, and you've gotten some great players out of that city during your time at Maryland. And, and when you came in as the coach, you kind of had to repair the relationships and the Keith Boot recruitment. Keith Booth recruitment was such a big part of that. Talk about how your relationship with the city of Baltimore, such a great basketball town, kind of evolved over your uh, coaching career, specifically with the Terps. Well, you know, it, it was hard because, you know, I followed a legend in Baltimore. Bob Wade was a, a legend as a, uh, a football player and basketball coach. Of course, Dunbar High School was as well known as DeMatha, you know, back in the day. I mean, they, they were both powerhouses. In fact, Keith Booth played on uh, – the number one team in the country in high school. Uh, I think it was his junior year in high school. So it, it was difficult, but there, there's a lot of good people there that uh, realized it would benefit, um, you know, guys from Baltimore to go to the University of Maryland. And certainly Keith Booth got it all started. Keith's final three schools were Kentucky, Duke, and Maryland. And that's back when we weren't very good, when, when Keith decided to come to Maryland. So I'll never forget that. Uh, and then, of course, the other guys that came in, 
know, like Sean Mosley, Dino Gregory, Rod Elliott, people like that, just just all great people. That, that um, and the one thing about guys from Baltimore, they were tough. In other words, they they were willing to play defense, they were willing to work really hard to get better, and they, they were on really good teams. All of those guys, and you know, their personality, their their ability to show up every day for practice and wanting to get better was a big part of that because, you know, he gets guys sometimes that are really talented and they just, you know, they, they think they really made it because they got a scholarship to college or whatever. But, you know, you got to get better. If you want to have a good team, you got you want to get better individually. And uh, those, those guys are all great. Now you talked about recruiting. If is there one guy that you look back on, one guy that didn't go to Maryland, and you said like, "Man, that's that's the one that I really want back." And do you kind of re replay that visit in your head, or some of the talks saying, "If I would have said this, or if we would have done this for him, you know, we could have got him on the team." Is there one guy that kind of sticks out in your mind like that? Well, there there was one guy that was going to come to Maryland, uh, Lawrence Moten, uh, who played at Archbishop Carroll right there uh, in D.C. And he, he was going to come, and he was turned down for admission at the University of Maryland. He went to Syracuse, graduated four years, and still was the all-time SEALs leader in the Big East. And he would have been a great player. He was a great All-American football player and basketball player. He was just a tremendous athlete. So that would have hurt because we did everything right to get him, you know, and we didn't get him. You're, you're not going to get every player. People think because, you know, you're in D.C., you should get every guy that comes out of D.C. or the state of Maryland, you should get every guy. That's never going to happen because some guys, some parents just want their, their kids to go away to school for one thing. And, you know, there, there's a lot of good schools, good programs out there, good coaches that, uh, you know, guys want to play for. So, you know, if you get your share, I always felt that. If you get, you know, one guy a year locally and couple that with a couple other guys, a good recruiting class in, in basketball is three or four players uh, if, if they all can contribute to the program. So I think we kept that in mind when we were recruiting. It's funny, too, because Pasto said something similar to that on the radio today, talking about Hunter Dickinson with Michigan and saying, you know, he's right down the street from Maryland at DeMatha. And he said, kids want to go away to school. You're not going to get those kids from DeMatha every single time. And so it's funny how that, that kind of uh, tied into what you were just saying there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's – and so much is done in the summertime now in recruiting that a lot of times it really doesn't matter where a guy goes to high school. It's more important who he plays for in the summer, you know, all those types of things. So – it's guys look at things more nationally now uh, just because of that, because they travel so much. I mean, you, you might play an AAU tournament in Florida, might go to California, Texas, up in New Jersey and play. And so they, they've seen a lot of things. They've seen different campuses. They, they, you know, it's just a different deal now. Coach, talk about your, you know, I had so many great March Madness moments. I think the most notable one from a drama perspective is the Drew Nicholas shot. Take us through that memory for you. Um, you you obviously were, were screaming at the uh, the ref after the game in terms of the review, but he went up with that shot. Do you think it was in? Yeah, I had a good angle. Well, I, I knew – what you can tell from the bench, because the second half they always shoot in front of you, your team does, is that it was online. You can't tell necessarily if it's short or long, but you can tell if it's online. And it was right in the middle of the room. I knew that. And Drew, in practice, he was ridiculous. You know, he could make shots. He, he was like Curry. After practice, we'd mess around, you know, shooting the ball, things like that. And Drew could, could really make shots. And so what happened on that play, though, was Steve Blake was supposed to get the ball, but they did a good job. They double-teamed him, 
they dropped the guy off the ball and put two guys on Blake. And so Drew was open and he got the ball and he knew what to do. You know, we, we work on that in practice, the idea of you got to get the ball down there somehow, some way. And he just put his head down and dribbled as hard as he could down that right side. And, you know, of course, the player was on him in the locker room after that because they said it's a good thing they didn't make him go left because he would have never made it down there to shoot the ball. So, uh, but Drew got a good look. He got squared up, too. I, I, I'm sure you've seen the replay. His shoulders are completely square to the to the rim, which is really important when they shoot it. And he knew it was in. You know, he, he was running toward the locker room by the time the ball went in. And, you know, it's one of those things with uh, UNC Wilmington. They did everything but win the game. They played better than we did in that game. And, um, you know, and then we went and played a great game against Xavier right after that, uh, which, you know, it was tough coming off winning the national championship, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard. You're a marked man, number one. You know, thing, you know, it was like hard to get going again that next year at the national championship. You guys got me okay? Coach, you, you talked about Steve Blake there on that team and, and, and obviously led that 2002-2003 that team after the national championship. One of the all-time great competitors at Maryland. You then have a young point guard named John Gilchrist lead you to an ACC championship with that amazing three-game run. Those guys at one point sort of got into a scuffle, I think in a summer game that's sort of a famous story. What was it like to have two competitors like that in that moment kind of go at it? But I'm sure something you respected as, as competitive as those two guys were. Well, that's happened at a lot of places. You know, players, you, you know, it's not always nice and, you know, you know <laughs> cakes and roses, you know. It's tough business. Uh, but there happened to be somebody with a video camera. Nowadays, uh, it's all over the world, you know, when, once that takes place. And, you know, they're, they're, they're both competitors, like you said. And, you know, Blake didn't want somebody taking his job, obviously. And, and so – they got into it, and it's good. You know, you, you clear the air, and nobody got hurt, and it didn't last long. Our, our players were good. They jumped in between. It was a pickup game after camp at night is what it was. And uh, people made a big deal of it, but it didn't bother me. I just learned more about the players, you know, about how, how competitive they were. And John, John Gilchrist's performance in the ACC tournament, I guess it was 2004, um, that was as good. And I had, I had people – like Roy Williams, people like that come up and tell me that was as good a performance for three days. We beat the, th the three two-and-one seeds in the state of North Carolina, and we beat Wake Forest, NC State, and Duke in overtime. And so that wasn't a, a, a great team going into the tournament. There was some talk about we might not make the NCAA that year. And uh, to do that, 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 was, that was a great three days. We played at 9 o'clock at night. We played at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We were down 20 at halftime to NC State, and then we, uh, you know, had to go into overtime to win a game against Duke. So it, it was something I'll always remember. That's great that you say that. It kind of bridges me to my next uh, question here. The ACC in that time period was just phenomenal in my eyes. I think that's when the, the um, for somebody my age, was really at its peak. Um, now, I do remember when Maryland moved to the Big Ten, Scott Van Pelt had a quote saying, people are having a funeral for something that in many ways died a long time ago. Did you believe at that point in time? This thing's... Sorry, the connection seems... Yeah, I got you now. I, I got you now. 
Uh, I, I thought that. Uh, you got me now. Yeah, I'm good. Can you hear me? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the the moving to the Big Ten was traumatic for a lot of people. Uh, people forget the ACC had changed too. They they took on all the Big East. They broke up the Big East basically. They took all the football schools to expand their football package. Is is what the ACC did. And like our travel partner for that next year would have been Pittsburgh if we stayed in the league. And you know the the rivalry. Really, when people talked about the ACC rivalries, it was always Duke and North Carolina. That, that, that was it. And there were great games and all that stuff. But, you know, th there'll be a rivalry um, in, in basketball. I mean, you look at Michigan now, where we are with Michigan, certainly that, that's going to be a, a, a great rivalry as time goes forward. And, yeah, we're talking about the, the old school ACC and all that. And, and when I think of old school Maryland and ACC, I mean, Cole Fieldhouse jumps to, jumps to my mind immediately. What was so oh, special yeah. about that building? And what, I mean, what just made it such a weapon for you guys as that home court advantage? Well, back, back in the day, uh, it was built, I think, in 55 uh, in there. And back, back in the day, uh, there were, I mean, they had two, two Final Fours there. They had Eastern Regionals there all the time. It was as good an on-campus facility as it was in the country. And so to get that thing filled uh, and you walk out there, it might be a cold night in January, but by the second half, it was 90 degrees in there. Uh, we were used to it. Other teams weren't. Uh, the crowd felt like it was right on top of you. The way that roof was with that airplane hangar look, that noise just rolled from side to side. And, you know, people still talk about that uh, all the time, about what a great experience and, Obviously, Xfinity is a great place to play. But Coldfield House was a gym. You know, that, that, that's the best way I can describe it. It was a gym. It smelled like a gym. Um, walking out of that tunnel for a game, sometimes if it was a big game, you could feel the noise. It would go right through you. It, it was incredible. And we always played well there. You know, there, there was never – that crowd wasn't going to let you die very easily in a game. They were, they were going to make you competitive. And it was just a thrill to be able to coach there. Do you remember what your favorite game was in that building? Is there one that, that sticks out? Well, there, there was a couple. Um, Blake's um, the year 2002 when we beat Duke. Um, that, that was a big win for us because that's the only game we lost in the conference was at Duke that year about two weeks before. So we came back and beat them by 20 um, in, the, in that game. So that was big. And then the Virginia game was amazing, the last game ever played in Coalfield House. That had um, – you know, we scored 106 points against a good Virginia team. And both teams were really – I think they had like 92 or something like that. It was just ridiculous how it was going. And then we had just about every living Maryland basketball player there at the end of the game. And every guy that ever played at Maryland, you know, has their own memories of Cole Fieldhouse. And all those guys had played in Cole Fieldhouse. And so it was just a great way to close the building, uh, no doubt about it. I think the, the biggest cheer that night, though, might have been for Earl, for Earl Badu when he came in the game. We, we obviously had that anniversary a couple weeks ago, so I was watching that stuff on YouTube. That, that building sounded like it never stopped cheering for anything the entire night. Uh, Earl Badu was – I catch a lot of um, stuff for that because they wanted him in the game. The fans wanted Earl Badu into the game. And, like, I was trying to get him in the game, but, you know, Earl, Earl wasn't quite as good as – some of our other players, you know, <laughs> you just can't throw a guy in there. But, like, you could start to hear it. If we're up 15 with two minutes left, you could hear people, you know, the, the students were all behind the benches. 
We had 4,000 students behind the bench every game. I mean, it was like a wall, and they, they, you could hear the, the murmuring start. You know, you knew what it was about. And when Earl got up, one time I walked down the bench, just missed it. We were up like 25. I forget who it was. And, like, I walked down toward Earl, and I walked right past him. I got a trip of water at the end of the bench. And they got all over me. The students were great. You know, they got all over me for doing that. <laughs> That's great. Now, now, again, you talked about him kind of being a fan favorite. You've had, I mean, it's a laundry list of, of just awesome players to watch uh, from your time there. Was there one guy, and again, now that you're not coaching, that you can probably kind of get away with saying this, was there one guy who when you look back, you go, that's my favorite. He was my favorite because of either, you know, his work ethic, how he played, just a personal relationship. Was there one guy that sticks out to you like that? Well, the, the first guy was Walt Williams. Uh, you know, we, could, we couldn't play Indian Subway Tournament in 91 or 92, and we couldn't be on live TV. I think it was 91 and maybe 92 also. And so, you know, you try to recruit with that. You, 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 you know, and it's really difficult playing in the ACC when you had Duke and Carolina winning national championships and, you know, all that going on. And so what Walt did, he, he, he was spectacular. He, he scored 30 points in seven straight ACC games. Uh, he scored 20 or more in 19 straight games. And people knew what we were doing. We were trying to get Walt the ball. He was by far our best player. It wasn't like we had four or five guys with him. We had good players, but nobody at Walt's level. Walt was a lottery pick. But him staying, I think, kept the interest in Maryland basketball until we could get a good team. And, you know, early on, uh, another favorite guy was Johnny Rhodes. John, Johnny was out of Dunbar High School in D.C., and, you know, it really, uh, he came from a tough situation. And I remember in September when school had started, um, he came to the office one Friday afternoon and he said, I'm going home. I said, okay, Johnny, I'll see you on Monday. Have a good weekend. He said, no, I'm going home. I'm done. He said, I don't have the same clothes that people here do. I don't, I don't look like they look. And it was really a tough deal. And Johnny really sucked it up and stayed. And he's still the all-time ACC steals leader even though nobody will talk about it from the ACC. Uh, he, he, was, he was on the first Sweet 16 team. He, uh, Dwayne Simpkins, uh, Joe Smith, uh, Keith Booth, uh, just all great players. And, and X-Ray Hip was the other guy. And all five of those guys, we started two freshmen and three sophomores and beat Marcus Camby and uh, UMass when they were two in the country to get to the Sweet 16. And those guys just all had a lot of heart. I mean, we played six, seven guys that year and we were able to really play well against good teams. We lost to the fab four. Chris Weber had gone into the draft the year before and that's who we lost to in Dallas uh, to get to the elite eight. Uh, they still had John Howard on that team. In fact, you took a little bit of a dig at the ACC there. And I think, um, uh, a thing that kind of defines a Maryland basketball fan or probably a Maryland sports fan as a whole, especially regarding that era was, having a chip on their shoulder about the ACC as a whole. Do you feel that that's something that helped to kind of motivate or, or, or oh, define yeah. what, what Maryland was about? When, when, we, uh, when I got there in 89, uh, you know, Mar Maryland was a founding partner of the Atlantic Coast Conference. I think it was 56 it was formed. And we were always the northernmost school. There was only eight schools in the, in the ACC, went to nine. And you played everybody twice, and everybody knew who, you know, the, the best team was in the ACC. And then the ACC was the first to start the conference tournament. 
and they decided to have it in North Carolina every year. Well, that's a t- tremendous disadvantage because if, say, Clemson lost the first round and Maryland won, the, the, the building was – the Carolina people would buy all the tickets, you know, that the, the Clemson people were willing to sell. And so it was always tough to win in the ACC tournament. And the, the league office was in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, and, you know, it just made, made for some tough things logistically in every way else. And, and so, you know, and you had four teams from the state of North Carolina in the league, four out of eight. Think about that. And yeah. it, it was just difficult. And so, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the type of person that, you know, if they were going to beat me, I was going to take it laying down. You know, I mean, we're going to fight. And I think that's Maryland. You know, every, every place is different. We're, we're, we don't want to be like everybody else. We want to be Maryland. And that's what got us through some tough times. And, you know, that, that's what makes the school, uh, you know, the great place that it is. Love that answer. As a Maryland alum, I mean, just seeing, just growing up in the area, I think uh, we all feel the same way. Um, there were some tough players, though. In, on those Carolina teams, whether it be NC State or, or UNC or Duke, what have you. Um, was there a player, whether it be because they were just tough and talented or just maybe their antics or something like that, was there a least favorite player that you liked to coach against? Um, well, I'll tell you who got into it a lot was Steve Blake and Julius Hodge, Julius the Hodge. guard guard for uh, <laughs> NC State. I mean, it got ugly out there. A lot of times referees didn't see what happened out there on the court. And those two guys didn't like each other, but it made for a great rivalry, you know. So, uh, and Blake, Blake, see, Blake, Blake never backed up. That's why he played 13 years in the NBA. I mean, Steve Blake averaged nine and a half points a game his senior year at Maryland, and he plays 13 years in the NBA. I mean, just think about that. Yeah. And the, the reason he did, because he was tough enough, and he knew the game, he knew where the ball should go. If you're playing with Kobe Bryant, make sure Kobe gets the ball on time and don't take – two or three extra dribbles, things like that. Coaches love Steve Blake. All, I loved him. And then all through his pro career, it was the same way. He always had a job because they knew if he came off the bench, whatever the score was, it wasn't going to be any worse by the time they got the starter back into the game. And that was Steve's role. And you think about playing in the NBA for 13 years at about six two and a half, 175 pounds, that, that's a heck of a job. And it's, it's funny because I always – I'll have this talk with my friends who, again, are my age and, and remember the, the championship team, and I always tell them, like, if you think back to that team, if I would have told you back then, out of all those guys, Steve Blake was going to have the longest NBA career, like, I think us on the outside looking in probably would have said there's no way. It's going to be Wilcox. It's going to be Dixon, someone like that. But it, it just goes to show how special that team was and, and just yeah, how, I- how good they were. I mean, Wilcox played 11, uh, Juan, Juan Dixon played seven, Lonnie Baxter played six, uh, and then, of course, Steve. And I'll tell you what, Byron Mouton, he played in Europe for like 10 years. If he got with the right team, or if he was coming out today, because mm-hmm. positions don't mean anything today in the NBA, he would have played the NBA because that guy could compete. I mean, he, he, was, he was – I don't think we win the national championship without Byron Mouton. He'd make big plays that would go unnoticed because it wasn't a stat play. You know, he'd, he'd dive on the floor and deflect the ball to one of our other guys. You know, things like that. There's no stats for those things. And Byron averaged 22 points a game at Tulane when he's at Tulane. Then he transferred up. His brother was in Prince George's County. And uh, he was just tired of losing. I think they only won five or six games this last year at Tulane. And he wanted to win. And he was willing to sit out a year 
and play two years to to win. I was just happy for him that he was part of the championship team. He made one of like the defining plays of the the O2 title game when he sort of flung the ball from the baseline all the way back oh, yeah. to the top of the key late in the game. Kind of defined who he was. It was a great it was a great save. Indiana had made a run on us, and um, we were hurting a little bit. And he made that play. It just seemed to, to pick it up. And that's what I mean. There's no stat involved in that play. You know, he just – he was just probably two feet out of bounds in the air when he made the save. I mean, it was an incredible play. And we were okay after that. Juan Dixon hit a big jumper from the baseline. And that was it. You know, we won that game by 12 points. But it was a lot closer than that. I have to – I think I'm obliged as a Maryland and Calvert Hall alum to ask one Juan Dixon question uh, when I'm talking to you, Coach Williams. What what made that guy so special? I'm, you've, I'm sure you've been asked this 40,000 times, but, you know, one of the all-time greats in the history of the school. Well, we, we were um, – we, we, we recruited Juan at Calvert Hall. We went up and saw him play a couple of times. They had a little guard with him, so Juan didn't handle the ball that much. You know, he wasn't a point guard at Calvert Hall. He was a scorer, and he was a big-time scorer, but he was six two and a half, 160, probably at Calvert Hall. And I saw him in the summertime. We were down in the uh, Peach Jam down in Georgia. The gym wasn't air-conditioned. You know, it was July. It was 100 and some degrees. And the Baltimore team that Juan played on AAUs, they were down like 20 with a minute left in the game, and there was a loose ball, and Juan dove on the floor for the ball. Because knowing Juan, he thought he could get up and go down the other end and shoot. That That's – Shooting was always big with Juan Dixon. And, like, what, what happened, you know, we recruited a guy that went to Connecticut that never wound up playing a lot in Connecticut. But he was t- your, your shooting guard, 6'4", 220, that everybody wanted, you know, that, that type of size. I remember the day we signed Juan Dixon, we announced it, and the Baltimore Sun and Washington both said that he was too small, basically, to play in the ACC. You know, like, why are you recruiting that guy? Well, the all-time leading scorer at Maryland, MVP of the Final Four, first-team All-American, you know, that, that kind of says it all, you know, about Juan Dixon. Coach, another, you know, one of your greats, Gravis Vasquez, uh, is a guy that every Maryland fan resonates and seems like he resonated with you. Uh, what was so fun about coaching that guy? He was just always up. He was so happy uh, that he got a chance to play. When he grew up in Villanova, uh, Venezuela, he never thought, He'd play college basketball in the United States. That was, you know, he didn't speak any English. It was just something that he heard about once in a while. And he knew the Venezuelan national team back then was good. And that was his goal, you know, to play on that. And so he came up to Montrose uh, Christian, you know, only about 10 miles from uh, College Park. And he was playing with a guy named Durant that was pretty good. And so we went over there to look at Durant. And I saw this guy. I've never heard of him. Never heard of him. I saw this guy running around. He was skinny, but he was about 6'6", and he had long arms. And he really knew how to play. And he loved the game. You, you could tell he loved the game. And I was always a better coach with guys that loved to play basketball than guys you had to try to get fired up to play. You know, and so Juan or, or uh, Gravis was my kind of guy. And here, here's the one thing about Gravis. In 2009, he had 35 points, uh, 11 assists, and 12 rebounds against North Carolina who won the national championship that year. And the next year against Duke, who won the national championship in 2010, he had 25 and he hit that game winning shot going toward the corner right in front of our bench where he kind of threw a half hookup that uh, went in. And, you know, that's how he was. Every day in practice, he was great. I know, I remember his freshman year, the crowd used to get on him because he'd do the shimmy after he hit a three. 
and that, that bothered a lot of people. Uh, but I kind of liked it. I had, see, I, I, my, my advantage, Coach Gravis, I'd coached soccer for six years. And a lot of those soccer guys, they're nuts. They're, they're crazier than basketball <laughs> And like, And I tell Sasha uh, Sarosky that, too. By the way, he just 28 years of coaching in Maryland. He's, he's the best soccer coach in the country. But anyway, he, you know, so Grievous would have all these things, and that's the way it was in Venezuela. People didn't understand it. That's what you did if you scored. You know, that, wasn't, that was nothing in, in Venezuela. You'd so, for the floor if you had the opportunity to. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> it was okay. And, and he just, he just every, every game he played, his senior year, we won our last seven games in 2010 in the ACC to tie Duke for the uh, regular season championship. He had 42 down to Virginia Tech in the double overtime game. Uh, he, we had to go to Virginia after we beat Duke and beat them at Virginia. I think that was Bennett's first year down there. And all, all those things. But Grievous had as good of one year, his senior year, as anybody I've ever seen. And that team, you know, that, that was a team that I thought was, by the time we played in the NCAA tournament, we could have gone to the Final Four because Michigan State beat us on the last second shot that was a little shaky. And while that game was going on, Kansas lost to Northern Iowa. And that was Michigan State's next game, Northern Iowa. And then to get to the Final Four, you had to beat Tennessee. You know, Michigan State did all that to their credit, and they got to the Final Four. And I thought by March, we were good enough. We weren't good enough in December, but by March, we were good enough. Coach, one last question here for you. Obviously, uh, world started to open up a little bit, so we're going to get back to the beach. Uh, you obviously hang out a little bit in Dewey Beach. What's the recommendation? The famous photo with, with Turge and, and, and SVPs out there. Where, where are we going when we're headed down there? Uh, the, the starboard, I, I know the owner there, Steve Montgomery. I've known him for probably 30 years. You know, the, the starboard changes with, with the times. You know, it's, it's a great place to eat now. And, you know, it, it's just um, – uh, there's a lot of people there that have been going in there for 30 years now. And uh, they've done a great job. And um, Steve Montgomery's a great guy. And uh, you guys ought to go in there and get an orange crush sometimes. They're pretty good. <laughs> we'll put is, it on your tab if that's okay. Yeah, we'll yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Coach, thanks so much. Uh, all of our listeners, make sure to go listen to the DC Coaches podcast. Gary's with, with Chris Naki, Ed Tapscott, Jimmy Pat says you guys are bringing in, in awesome guests on there and have great talks. So make sure everyone listen to that. And, Coach, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate well, it. Well, thanks. You guys do a great job with this, and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. Thank you very okay, much. Coach. Did we drill you too hard there? Oh, that was good. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, it's amazing what you remember. You, you don't think about those things. But then when somebody asks you, it all comes back, you know, it's, it's up there somewhere. At least it still comes back. It might not come back, you know, a few years. <laughs> it's still coming back pretty strong. Sure. And we could have yeah. gone for days on some of that stuff. I mean, that grievous senior year is my, my freshman year at Maryland. And the seven-game no, run's unbelievable. I really believe nobody ever had a better year. I mean, you think about what he did. I mean, we, we had good players, you know, like Dino Gregory, Eric Hayes, uh, you know, uh, the late Cliff Tucker. People, people like that were really good players. But Grievous made you different. You know, he was a difference yeah. maker. There's not many guys. You know, a guy can get 20 a game and not be a difference maker. But Grievous was such a good passer, uh, so smart with the ball, you know, that if you were open, you were getting the ball. He didn't care. He just wanted to win. I think Grievous was probably as big on winning as anybody I ever coached. He was great. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the seven straight wins, I mean, everyone talks about the Duke senior night. 
but there's a good handful of games that I have like distinct memories of like the snow game with UNC, where it was just like really just students was unbelievable for us. And uh, him dropping 25 against UVA in the first half. I mean, he just played out of his mind. It was incredible I mean, to watch. He, 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 could, by himself. He, he got the, uh, he got that confidence going in some games where you couldn't stop him. I don't care who, you know, put anybody on him. You, you, you couldn't stop him. It felt great. like it felt like he would either airball a three or he would he would make it. Oh yeah, no and no in between. <laughs> the great thing though was if he airballed a three next time down, if he was open, he was jacking up another three. You, know, <laughs> you, you, you couldn't shake him. You know, you couldn't shake. Back to you in the studio. Back on the Exit Fifty Two podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood. Once again, thanks so much for to Gary, Coach Gary Williams. God, I can't even get it out of my mouth. Um, for joining the podcast. As we said, go listen to the DC Coaches podcast, podcast he contributes to, hosted by Chris Knocky. Obviously, does the color commentary for the Maryland games, and they've got Ed Tapscott on there, Jimmy Patsos. They, they they toss around some awesome stories and have some great guests on. Had, had Tom Izzo a couple weeks ago, um, and they were just chopping it up, talking basketball, NBA, college, um, getting into all the – uh, this this different stuff about that so a great podcast those guys have and, and make sure to go give it a listen that brings us to our our starting five segment this week and guys with gary on the podcast coach so many of the players we're about to talk about all-time maryland basketball starting five normally the starting five is a gimmick to just make us pick five things now we're actually picking a starting five of maryland basketball players uh which i think is gonna be really fun i think all, all three of us um, have watched enough Maryland basketball uh, to have pretty good authority on this, or at least the history um, of the program to be able to pick this. Um, so this should be fun. Uh, the first pick is going to go to Eubanks. The second mm. pick is going to go to RDT, and the third, the uh, double pick is to me. So that is based on um, flipping it back around to the draft three drafts ago to give you the number one pick again, Banks. So. Uh, that is the order, and uh, you're on the clock. This is stressful. This is like it's tough. This yeah. is like mid o mid oos where you like LT and Sean Alexander head and shoulders above everybody else, and you have you have to pick one of the two. Oh man, for fantasy football, I, f- I felt good um, getting number two. I like that. Yeah. So. This is hard. This is a tough. This set. is really, really tough. And I can and and it's it's tougher when you realize that you the, it doesn't get back to you until the sixth pick. So, I am going to take. Man, it depends on the criteria you want to do too. I'm going to take my favorite. I'm going to just do my favorite because I want to build my kind of team. And he could play more than one position. I'm going to take Grievous. He's just my favorite. He just brings the energy. Uh, Gary talked about it very well, where he just elevates everybody around him, distributes, could score at will. Uh, when he got going, there was really not many better. Um, you know, you could make a case that there's some more accomplished players for University of Maryland, uh, players with more upside, but – in terms of me, like college hoops and what it was all about, and just exuding a love for University of Maryland, I'm going to take Grievous Vasquez. I think that's a great pick and uh, and and justifiable in this draft. Yeah, I mean it's it's 
he was one of the most exciting players to watch when he was there because yes, like you said he could do it all um i am gonna go and again kind of kind of with you brian what, what you were going along one, one of my favorites i gotta go i gotta go Juan. is the all-time leading scorer yeah. I mean, I was 11, 12, watching them win that championship and, and following along with them. And, you know, just watching him, was he was just so good. And he was, he was oh, my God, watching him shoot in that, that, that title run was just so fun. And the games against Kansas and UConn were absolute classics. And, and he was just cold-blooded. So I got all his jerseys from the Wizards, too. I got the Orange Bullets one and, and, a, and a, a white Wizards one. So Juan's always been one of my favorites. Um, and And – I think I'm going him number two. Yeah, I mean Juan is Juan is my all-time favorite athlete. I mean he is. Yeah, he he's he's up there for me. I mean, yeah, he, I agree. He's one of my white whales too. Like I've just always wanted to. Like if I ever met him, I don't think I would be able to speak to him. Graduation picture with him. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's the good <laughs> yeah. story. I uh, obviously he worked at Maryland for a little bit while I was there, so I had some interaction with him. And my obviously loved him when he played. There's for me. There's also like a high school plus college sort of like connection there. Um, Where'd you go to high school? Calvert Hall. Which oh. Is where Dixon went. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if anybody knew that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Juan was amazing. I mean, what what an incredible story. And, and you know, Coach kind of talks about it in the interview. No one thought he was going to be good. I mean, he was mm-hmm. a good high school player, but, you know, the amazing story with him overcoming the death of his of his mom and, uh, and his father um, in tragic circumstances has been told many times. But that's a great pick. Uh I would have loved one of those guys to fall to me because they are my two all-time favorites, so to get one of them would have been nice. It was always going to be tough with here at the third pick. I am glad that this guy does fall to me because I, I did watch a lot of him today, um, and I got to take Len Bias. I don't think there's any doubt. Obviously didn't get a chance to watch him play you know, in my lifetime, but I went through today, and, and it, this was the anniversary today of his final game in college, and unfortunately turned about to be the final official game of his basketball career. And I, it was against UNLV. He scored 31 points, and I went back and cut some highlights for it that we, we put out on the Maryland Twitter. I mean, he is incredible. I mean, he absolutely has it all. You know, big elevation on the jumper, incredible athleticism, great rebounder, went 9-for-9 nine nine from the line in this game. He shows different repertoires and moves. He's always talked about it and. You don't get a chance to watch a lot of it. It's mostly we put up pictures and things like that. So to be able to have watched that today and seen him essentially almost like carry Maryland on his back in a game where no one else really showed up except for Keith Gatlin, uh, he's just an amazing player. Um, and I think there's so much stuff on YouTube now. If you're a Maryland person and you've heard, seen all this bias stuff, seen the photos, heard SVP and Wilbon and all these guys talk about how amazing he was, go and watch some of these like full games. It's, I mean, it's, it's there. It's, it's not a joke. I mean, it's crazy. So I got to take a line. I think, I think we nailed the first three picks there. I think those were the three I was torn between for my pick. And, um, you know, I lend bias. There's, there are times when there's, there's athletes that have died tragically when you start to think about whether or not a player's legacy or, or their abilities or whatever, have been a little bit overblown just because of the circumstances of their death or what have you. The more I dig deeper into more and more Len Bias, the more I, it's like you said, he's just different. He's just a special player that um, it's a shame that we couldn't get to see ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. That, that 30 for 30 is, I think still in my top two or three is just 
the best one. And again, maybe it's just because it's close and it and it it hits close to home, being it being up at University of Maryland. But it was he was almost like Paul Bunyan, like where it's like you hear these stories, and you know, oh, he did this and he used to go toe to toe with Jordan and he had that dunk in Carolina and and you know all that stuff. So yeah, I'm 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 jealous of you being able to go through all that stuff and watch that today, Taylor, because I'm sure there's there's just a ton of of awesome footage i'm sure yeah it's fun and the the great part is people just keep putting we have stuff in our archives but people keep putting more and more these full games from the last 30 years on youtube i mean you can go down a full rabbit hole of of any player in any sport and find stuff to watch at this point people just keep putting more and more up there which is just like so fun this is now a tough pick um because i think a lot of the guys that fit in in this spot continue to be people i just didn't watch because they played before my time as a Maryland fan, um, but I want to take you know the only the only national player of the year in, in Maryland history. That's Joe Smith, who uh, once again incredible highlights. And I think a guy that you know in this era of basketball is probably a guy that learns how to take outside shots and combine with his athleticism is just a ridiculous like rim protecting five um, into in, and played obviously in the interior when he was a player, but I'm taking Joe Smith, number one pick in the draft, an incredible player. The only Terp going number one, right? Uh, John Lucas. John Lucas and Joe Smith. That's right. Yep. Uh, RDT. So, and again, this is, it kind of falls into like, and now it's just kind of like personal preference almost. Um, it's a draft. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I think well, the no, dividing just, line is essentially like, Picking guys who you watched against picking guys who you didn't watch. That exactly. is the hardest decision to make. Yeah. Like, uh, like I, I may, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Lonnie Baxter. Sure. Okay. Again, it's like he, I mean, is he the best, is he in the conversation for best Maryland player of all time? Absolutely not. But he was a very, like, he was a very good player. Tremendous. Um, was he the, he was the most valuable player in the, Final two four? regionals. He was the yeah. most valuable player in the West Regional in 2001, East Regional in 2002. There are not many that can say that in NCAA history. It's got it's like Bill Walton, like it is like high mm-hmm. high level names that have been the MOP of two regionals. And again, it's he was a big guy, but he wasn't the seven two seven foot, you know, true center. I mean, he he was a center, but he was uh, he was just so he was like so a good. stocky six eight six nine. Yep, kind of like you know. Sneaky athleticism. I, I like mm-hmm. quick. Um, we'll we'll put it out at some point on Twitter this week through Maryland. But you watch the beginning of the UConn uh, Maryland Elite Eight game. The first play is Juan gets the ball at the tip and throws just a lob to Lonnie Baxter. It's unbelievable up, play. He just goes up easy and gets it. And you're like, that dude does not look like he should just be able to go up like that and get it. Like, <laughs> yeah, he he was he was a ball player. So I'm I'm going I'm going uh, Lonnie. Okay, with the uh, sixth pick, and again, I'm between two people here. Players who I never saw in person, but I feel like it's, hmm. I'm going to take Walt Williams. I think yeah. he's a little bit of, um, he is Maryland basketball Stefan Diggs to a degree, where he could have gone somewhere else and, and when a, a program wasn't necessarily in great shape, chose to stay home and go to Maryland and made a big impact. And that kind of impact, um, not that it maybe has for football so much, but um, that impact that Walt Williams gave to Maryland um, playing from 88 to 92 for Gary, 
he kind of helped to put Gary on the map and helped to rebuild that program from from some of the the darker days after the, the Len Bias um, incident and 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 Bob Wade. There were some recruiting issues that that uh, Maryland was penalized for. He kind of held the program together, and I think that uh, that holds a lot of value for me. Yeah, I mean, and Walt is an all-time good guy. All-time good guy around Maryland basketball right now. Color commentator on the games. They don't just and, call anybody the wizard. No, they certainly don't. And another guy, if you go watch his highlights, who's just incredible. The, the fun part, and we got into that a little bit in the interview, but Gary Williams goes to his grave saying that guy saved Maryland basketball. And for him to say that, for the guy who everyone says saved Maryland basketball, Gary Williams after the, the Bob Wade area and the sanctions, things like that, that is high, high praise, and he loves Walt Williams. So I think that's a good pick, an amazing score, and would have been amazing in today's game. Point forward, could shoot from the outside, great athlete, lottery pick. So um, It sticks with me. No, it sticks with me. I forgot. Oh, that's right. It sticks with yeah. double. I always so I just yeah, like got real torn about two guys there for a second. <laughs> we always mess up dip. a double pick yeah. like early and I, in the I draft. Get, just... I, and I get to get to double dip here. Uh, I'm going to go with Tom McMillan. Um, he's a decorated athlete beyond just basketball. Well, not athlete, but how many how many times can you say like your legendary basketball player went to, you know, he's a congressman, Rhodes Scholar, like those types of things. So and we interviewed him on here, the turtle, and he said that he was running for Congress while still playing in the NBA. Jeez. <laughs> He's doing it at the same time. I think he was all Amazing. American three times. So um, I'm, I'm looking, I'm constructing a roster here. I, I you know, I'm, I've got my, my six foot six point guard. Uh, and um, now I've kind of got my, got my big man. So it's a fit so far. There you go. Uh, I mean, I'm sticking close with my uh with my my team this is almost a real team give me give me steve blake yeah. yeah i mean he's again we talked about it with gary and the 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 tenacious the fighting not just of of college teammates of of nba teammates he's gotten into fights with um again 13 years in the league like from a scrawny little not little scrawny white boy out of out of where he played oak hill and a couple other high schools um he was a hell of a ball player in college and a guy who knew his role probably better than anyone and, and knew what he was there to do and, and did it. And, and it was just, it was just awesome to watch. He was a perfect sidekick too. Like with Juan watching them two together was just awesome. So yeah. Oh, he's me, steel. Uh, you mean, yeah. Oh, he's steel. Yeah. That was the, the, the last couple of weeks again for the Maryland Twitter, whoever runs that, it's just been posting gold. Absolutely yeah, that, that person is normally a joke. So thankfully they <laughs> they they thankfully they found some uh, they content. found some content here. Steve Blake, I think, is a lot of people's favorite Maryland player ever. We posted something of him. We posted Ob Steele, and then it was his birthday. And there are people in the Facebook comments being like, "This is my favorite guy ever." Like people that probably have watched more than us. You know, people that are forties, fifties, whatever. Um, he just resonated with people. Just such a such a freaking good competitor. Such a good competitor. Love Steve Blake. Uh, this is a fun draft. So, oh man, I, I I'm I'm of a couple minds here with this double pick coming up. I can pick I think the clear best player still on the board here, um, or have a little fun with it and be a little more modern. Have some um, fun. Have some fun. I think I'm gonna have. I think I'm gonna this team. This team I'm constructing is just gonna straight up score, and we're gonna go with a double pick of two scoring guards. 
and I'm going to start with Stevie Franchise. He's going mm-hmm. number nine overall. One of the most exciting players, potentially maybe up there with Gravis, if you're talking about just sheer entertainment value, of the most exciting players in Maryland history. Only one year. An All-American in that one year. You know, low-key, there's some things that happened. That team could have made the Final Four with him. Um, you know, being a Kizzy gets hurt, and, and, and some different stuff happens. But just, you know, top three pick in the draft. He's just, you know, a formative player for a lot of people, I think, around our age, right? You know, in, right now in your late 20s or early 30s, um, growing up with college basketball. Um, an incredibly exciting player. So I'm going to take him number nine. And then I'm going to take a guy that I think represents this current era of Maryland basketball. And I'm going to take Mellow Trimble because at my four years at Maryland, we didn't make the NCAA tournament one time. 2010 to 2014. Thank me for my service. <laughs> Horrible. I mean, just I, it just pains me that I never experienced one NCAA tournament as someone who's rooted for the program for so long. And obviously there was the coaching transition there. Gary a little leaner in that last year. And then Turge kind of trying to build the program back up after he kind of – it didn't inherit the most amazing roster of all time. Had to bring in some different crews. The Mellow Trimble Des Wells 14-15 team is one of the most enjoyable teams in the last 24 years, 20 years. They didn't they didn't really have a lot of expectations and he was an absolute whirlwind of a player. And I know I think time sort of hurt Mellow. I think everyone loved Mellow by his junior year. It's like why is this guy almost seemingly regressing? Why can he not make outside shots as much blah blah. blah. Mellow Trimble is beloved among a certain generation of Maryland college attendee this like last 5 or 6 years. Um, and is a guy that if some things go right for him, first of all, if he stays for a senior year, he's the all-time leading scorer in the history of the school. But if a couple things go right for him on some of those teams, maybe the chemistry of that 15-16 team is a little bit better and that works out well. He doesn't get hurt in 14-15. Maybe they beat West Virginia. That team goes on a little bit of a farther run. But God, was he amazing. The crossover against Tum Tum there and against Michigan State. The game winner in his last game against Michigan State. There, I mean, he was just an incredibly fun basketball player to watch, and so he's he's joining my team. Shout out to Mello; he he was awesome. He he almost seems like the like a, a more recent Stefan Diggs too, where like he kind of brought the excitement back. Not not in the like the recruiting aspect, but like he, I mean, that freshman year he was must see TV. Like he, I I had a I have a feeling that he brought in like New Maryland fans, just being like, again, oh, this team hasn't done anything recently. Like, why should I get excited about them? Then you're like, oh, there's this, there's this freshman who can really play, and and he got. I feel like he got people back into Maryland basketball. It was such a fun team because Des Wells, um, who I think gets lost at times because he he was just an incredible emotional sort of leader and was exciting in his own right. Great dunker, physical dunker, and you had him and Mello as kind of Batman and Robin there, um, mm-hmm. and they were so fun. Um, RDT. I mean, I, uh, he's picking the team. You gotta pick. I literally, I literally could. No, if <laughs> just do it. Give me Chris Wilcox, baby. Yeah, here we go. Chris Wilcox. I mean, is, I mean yeah. again, he talk about a guy who came on. He not a late bloomer, but I mean that mid-season of that 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 championship year, he really found his stride. And I just remember lowering my hoop to like seven and a half feet and doing the <laughs> yes. like gorilla dunks. Yeah. Like as hard as I could. Tomah- the two hand tomahawk was yeah. unbelievable. Oh, it was and- shades of Shaquille O'Neal. 
Yeah, and he would just dunk so hard. And I was like, this guy is going to be an absolute freak in the league. And like, he, I mean, he was he was awesome to watch. He was, it, I just I could never get over how hard he dunked. And I just remember, I like, I was like, he's going to break a backboard. Like, he's going to tear down a basket at one point. And and like, like Gary said too, you know, he had a, he had a decently long NBA career. I think it was a lottery I, lottery pick with the lottery Clippers. Pick, yep, lottery pick. Yeah, eleventh pick maybe. Somewhere um, around there, maybe a little higher, like eight. That, yeah, I think that sounds right. But yeah, one one of my all time favorite guys. And yeah, I mean, I'm slowly just building up. You're you guys talk about your score, and I'm building a championship team. Let That's me tell you what, if you're gonna win this draft, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Banks, you for two. Uh, I'm going to take Len Elmore. I need a power forward. Um, he's got the height and he's got a great broadcasting career. Uh, obviously he's maybe the height of all the players that we never saw play, but, um, you know, most rebounds in school history. So at least is, yeah, that's, he's, he has the most rebounds, doesn't he? Correct. Yeah. So Len Elmore. And then for the final pick for my end, I am going to take one. Gary Williams. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. I Good feel like pick. that almost gets lost in the shuffle sometimes that he played at Maryland. Yep. It's um, he's Maryland through and through. He, um, you know, point guard didn't really contribute a ton, but you know, he played some minutes and uh, his senior year, he averaged 6.9 points per game. And I even think we can all agree. That's, that's a pretty nice little senior year there. It's a nice senior year from Gary. Absolutely. All right, RDT, you can do it if you want to. <laughs> All righty. With this, I'm taking. I can't. Uh, but I will. I, I'm not going to complete the set. But oh, I'm, Why I'm wouldn't going... you complete? I'm offended you're not completing the set. Because the guy I'm taking, if we're talking cult hero, a guy that I'm friends with on Facebook, and I oh, wish him happy birthday every like year. Will Bowers or something? No, fuck Will Bowers. If Will Bowers <laughs> listens to this podcast, I hate you. I forgot um, he used to be so so. He was very online for a period. For yeah, a period yeah. His Twitter. He was. I. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to do a deep dive. I forgot all about that. that. Yeah. Um. But no, I'm going, and I feel like this guy was. I mean, I, I loved him the second I saw him step foot on campus. I'm taking Boom Osby. Oh, yeah. Boom Osby yeah. is my like he's legitimately one of my favorite players. I'm friends with him on Facebook, like I said, and every year I wish him happy birthday and he wishes me happy. I've never met him. I've never <laughs> had any interaction with him. But there was a year where I went and friended everyone on the team, and Boom Osby is the only, only one still left. And that is my guy. <laughs> um, I think he's still playing overseas. Like he was a he was a decent player. I think yeah. he was a he was a pretty good player. But I mean the name, like, boom, is just – it's by itself. It's an awesome Osby. name. The, the afro, I mean, he was, he was awesome. So, yeah, I'm taking, uh, taking Boom Osby, baby. I, I like the way this is going. So, I'm going to complete the draft with – Have some guy, fun with it. Have the guy fun. that over his four years has become one of my favorite Maryland players ever, and I'm taking Daryl Morsell. Okay. Daryl Morsell, obviously I said talk to him last night, you know, know know him a little bit at this point, having done here the turtle and just being around campus, but don't know him that well. Uh, he is a Maryland guy and would go and as we saw last Friday, would fight anyone that <laughs> uh, or potentially fight anyone that comes at his coach, comes at his team, and he is 
freaking led this group that everyone counted out, that everyone said was done, that everyone said was disappointing, and he has dragged them, with obviously the help of Aaron Wiggins and Eric Hyde, all these guys, to the NCAA tournament. He deserves this. He deserves to be, you know, a guy that is a fan favorite for a long time. He defends the hell out of it. I'm so glad that he won Defensive Player of the Year. Honestly, on this team, I need someone to defend because I got Mello and Steve Francis in the court. So someone's got to defend on the perimeter. He will be doing that for me, and he will be an emotional leader um, with some of these guys. Daryl Morcel will not have his name in the rafters, but I, he will always have a special place in my heart as a Maryland fan. I think the guys that resonate are the ones that you see care and really wear the Maryland on their chest like Gravis did. Like Steve Blake's a guy like that. You know, Des Wells is a guy like that. And Bruno Fernando is a guy like mm. that. Daryl Morcel is a guy like that. And so he will join my team with the last pick. So I, I thought Gary knocked it out of the park, too, when he talked about the recruiting with Baltimore and how those guys want to play defense. Oh, yeah. Like, he Tough. nailed it with, with Morcel there. Like, he oh didn't say Morcel. But you might he he might as well have been talking about him. He might as well have said Sean Mosley at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing, yeah. Yeah. So in summation, Banks' team is Gravis Vasquez, Walt Williams, Tom McMillan, Len Elmore, and Gary Williams. Size. RDT has a lot of size. <laughs> RDT's team is Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, Steve Blake, Chris Wilcox, and Bombali Osby. Bombali <laughs> Boom Osby. And my team is Len Bias, Joe Smith, Walt or, excuse me. Ah. Len Bias, Joe Smith, Steve Francis, Mello Trimble, and Daryl Morcel. Oh my, that's an all athletic team there. It's an mm-hmm. all we are all athleticism. We are not playing a ton of defense. athleticism versus on size versus like Eric's team's just sweet. Champions I'll just be honest. This team is sweet. Um honorable mentions here. I mean, we have to apologize to John Lucas and his family. A two-time first team all <laughs> Yeah, there. really. Not taken in this draft. Uh, he got. I mean, he would have been taken had we not, you know, g- you know, gone gone with some more of our favorites here. Um, but theoretically, a guy you could have taken in the top five of this draft. Um, an incredible player, also an All American tennis player, as I know what everyone likes to say. Uh, any other ones that were on your guys' board? I-, I had to get him out there first. Sean Lucas probably should. Yeah, no, that was draft. a big oversight. But, but I had. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I could, we could all go so down. I had, and... I had uh, Keith Booth. Sure, Keith Booth. Yeah, I mean. Um. Yeah, Keith Booth was one for me as well. Uh, Adrian Branch, Adrian mm-hmm. Branch, um, sure. Terrence Al- Morris is kind of in that range. Byron Mouton, we mentioned. Albert King is held in very high esteem for a certain generation of Maryland fans. Um, I Nick- think you have to give a shout out to to, to Jalen Smith, Stick Smith, Ed Sticks, uh, who's an All American. Bruno Fernando, you mentioned as well. Yeah, Anthony uh, Cowan, Anthony Cowan, who will probably um, hear this and get offended that he was not on the list. So yeah. sorry to Ant. Oof. Uh, Nick <laughs> Nick Kinner Medley. Yep. Gotta give a shout out to that guy. I mean, yeah, I had Maryland Gist. man. I had uh, a back James way. Gist, a very underrated, a very underrated. I player. was gonna say him after you said Osby. I had Travis I Garrison is kind of a name that you think about, like in that post John Gilchrist as well. Um Kevin post, uh, national yeah. championship era. John Gilchrist had one of the great peaks. I mentioned Des Wells forty times during it and probably yeah. stepped on LeBron him. LeBron Prophet. Drew um, Nicholas. Yeah, I mean Johnny Rhodes yeah. is a guy that, that that Gary talked about in the interview that that you know was a scrappy point guard. Um, yeah, Drew Nicholas had that great year and was was a great key cog on the national title team. Hassan Fafana, Hassan just an all time name, just an all time name. Hassan Fafana, Hucker, <laughs> Hucker uh, Paulson. Oh yeah, Hawk yeah. Paulson. Who's uh, the guy from Korea? 
Um, oh my gosh. I I was going to say it, but I can't remember it well enough, and I just don't want to be. Uh, Jinsu Choi, I believe. Ooh, yeah, that's that's that was good. I was going to be way off. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to be way off. Uh, um, DJ Strawberry, just just because I like I that love guy. DJ Strawberry. I think that Marcel DJ Strawberry comp from a couple weeks ago was spot on. I was watching a little DJ Strawberry the other day. Bruin Ram. Uh, Eric Hayes. Shout to Howard County. Eric, Eric Hayes, Hayes was awesome. Career. To be honest. It's D- thought, Eric's, out, Eric's out there in the Twitter streets a little bit too, so good for him. Yeah, he's big caps complainer. Yeah. The caps aren't doing so hot. He's he's, is he, he's is he quick on Twitter to, yeah. yeah, he is. He's like yeah, EK like Hayes or something. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, not, yeah, that makes sense. I remember that now. And then I I I mean this guy is not not genuinely going to be making any of these lists or anything, but I always loved the way with the way that, that Grievous and, and Eric Hayes were set up that Landon Milbourne was the best baseline 12 footer shooter I've ever seen in my life. And would come around on the, on he the would just run the baseline a little bit too. And he would just shoot 12 foot mid range jumpers. And they were absolute swishes every time lefty shooter fun to watch. I got to give a shout out to John Graham, covered all class of 2014, who was a oh, Maryland Terrapin yeah, okay. after going to Penn state. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so funny. We did this entire, um, this entire sort of Maryland legend series for Hear the Turtle where we talk to a lot of these different guys. And it's just amazing. Like Cedric and Derek Lewis, who played around the same time as Bias, who were both great shot blockers. We talked to who Mike Jones, um, who, you know, a lot of people love to, to reminisce about second rank shooting guard behind. I, I was going to I was going to ask Gary if he was confused about why people were yelling who after Mike Jones would make a three that that was going to be my question. Uh, maybe we have to get, but I was like, I don't want to confuse him. Um, there's just so many, I mean, we, all three of us have watched Maryland for so long. Like anyone in this like last 25 year, I feel like sort of like resonates Harrison Uh, twins, you know, come on. Oh my God. Lance Stevenson. (laughs) I was going to say, Rudy Gay. Um, Hey, it's all right. Andrew Harrison's playing for the Beijing Royal fighters. So yeah, God, we should do an all-time Maryland uh, people upset on the message board recruit teams. Those <laughs> all-time, all-time forty-year-olds cursing at eighteen-year-olds on yeah, Facebook. All, yeah, all-time people. I like, remember I was getting driving on a road trip at one point in like the mountains in like Western Pennsylvania, and the Harrison commitment was happening, and phone reception. I mean, it was well. What year? What, that would have been twenty thirteen or fourteen. It's a yeah, they play, infancy, yeah, they play Kentucky, of, in Kentucky 2013. infancy of Twitter, and I'm like driving and just refreshing my timeline like no other, just waiting for the announcement, and that didn't go great. Uh, shout out to the mayor, Dave Neal. Oh, uh, Dave Neal. Set, set, set one of the great Dave picks in Neal. history. Oh, oh man. man. Uh, who are the – I'm trying to think of the other like – Reese Gaines, I think, is some – people talk about him as a lost recruit. Andrew Terrell. Yeah, I was, I'm yeah. trying to think of some of those end of the bench guys. Oh, end of the bench guys. I mean, got a great one right now. He's playing in Reese Mona. He's an awesome kid. Yeah. Um, some people aren't fans, but I'm a Reese. Reese how do you and not like Terps Reese have been Mona? very good on the court when Reese is on the court. Terps are like plus a lot the last couple games mm. on the court. By the way, you guys should um, flex that on the account a little bit. Maybe we will. We'll see what happens on Saturday. <laughs> he comes in and plays well. You know, maybe we'll flex it a little bit. Uh, you want to talk to Terrell Stoglin at all, or you want to you want to move on? I have no problem with Terrell Stoglin. He was, <laughs> he, was he was like a mini hibachi. Yeah, he was. I mean, Terrell Stoglin could really score. I mean, he, he didn't he care where he was, he was if he was open. 
He can shoot. He was. Uh, I mean, he could ball. Michael, Mike. I mean, this is. There's just this. This like Gary and detergent transition of the Michael Parker, like Michael Parker, Barry oh. Weiss, Ashton Panky, James Paget, um, oh. Ivan Bender at one point. I know that's yeah. not a Gary tra- transition guy, guy, but yeah, that was a detergent guy. I know. Um, I'm just shaking yeah, my head uh, at that. Checo, and then we have, to, we have to talk about 15-16, Suleiman Stone Carter Jr. I mean. Uh, what a team! We I thought Robert back. Carter Jr. was going to be the like the next big thing. Me too. Nick Faust. I just think they had too many guys. I just think they had too many guys that could have been the guy. They just needed a couple. They needed a role player on that starting five, and not five guys that thought they were the best player. Who's the dude um, that just won the championship? Just Justin Jackson. Oh, Justin Jackson. Justin that was Jackson. A, that was a hard tweet. That was <laughs> Justin Jackson. <laughs> Did well, did well. Justin Jackson once scored he, 28 at Minnesota. Did he play well? Did he play what well? Did he win? He won the, the G League championship. Oh hell yeah, dude! You didn't oh, see the, the tweet for the Lakeland Magic. Oh oh, Sam Cassell Jr. By the way, another lost recruit. Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, who was committed here and just didn't come? Who was the Who was the seven foot dude who stole a Twix bar or a Snickers bar from the Seven Eleven? Trayvon Reed. And he broke his finger or whatever, yeah, like running yeah. from the cops. Trayvon Reed. Uh, Charles Mitchell ended up at Georgia Tech. Uh, oh, stuck like Chuck. Lear ended up at Texas. Yeah. Uh, stuck Seth like Allen Chuck. Ended up at Virginia Tech. I saw him out at the. Uh... Establishments no, um, late at, late in the evenings. No, no <laughs> Ellen, no dancing. Um, oh it? yeah, uh, Jared Brantley and Jalen Brantley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least they, was, at least they got on Ellen and got that. That free was truly incredible. And then I'm gonna finish because we, we can go forever here. This I'm, is like yeah, this is electric radio. <laughs> I'm, We're I'm just finishing <laughs> the conversation. Well, if you're a Maryland fan, this is, I'm finishing it with Roddy Peters, who wanted to wear Juan Dixon's mm. number three. Juan said he couldn't wear it. Won ACC Player of the Week his like fourth week of school, and then was terrible for the rest of the year. I, <laughs> Thank you for your I, service, Roddy. Peters. I would never have thought about that name again. Yeah. If you didn't say that, yep. holy. No, number, I think he was like the number one player in Maryland coming out of high school. I can see that. Ended up at a random mid-major. So that's the, that was the starting five. Um, if people have their own, send them in. Obviously, you don't have to draft them so you can pick anybody you want. But send us random Maryland players. We'll always have fun with that. We could do like a, a We could do with. just a draft of just obscure Maryland basketball players. Yeah, maybe we will. Maybe we will at some point. Um, we move. Uh, Nick, uh, speaking of Maryland, Nick Kaner medley Maryland Person of the Week. Um, Banks, I'll start with you. No, oh, I wish you weren't going for me. Shaking um, your head. I know. I was, guess I was asking for it. I didn't really prepare one per se, but um, thinking on my feet here, um, whoever is making me daiquiris down in Florida this weekend, uh, that might that guy might be my Merrill Man. <laughs> um, That's fair. Yeah, it'd be real lame to just go with Justin Thomas after what I watched, but he was awesome. Um, yeah. I feel like I've just picked a golf guy like two or three weeks in a row just because I go to the tournament. Well, you're going and then, to the tournament. So yeah. The um, thing is, I wasn't even there on Sunday when he balled out um, because it was my mom's birthday. I flew home for that. Shout out, mom, again. Um, so maybe my mom is uh, wins the award this week. There you go. Because I love my mama. RDT? Uh, I'm going with whatever Netflix producer – started uh the series of last chance you because like i was telling you guys before i am on the the newest season it came out last wednesday uh and it's the first basketball season it's also the last season that they're doing of last chance you but i'm like three and a half episodes in and it is phenomenal it's so good and i've seen all of them in the past but the basketball one for some reason is just really really good characters are sorry excuse me characters are really great the coaches are like 
the nicest people in the world. I, it's, if you haven't watched it, I would, I would check it out. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, no spoilers because I haven't finished it. Hopefully I finish it all tonight, but, um, yeah, I've been, uh, I've, I've been doing that since I've been quarantining because I was at a wedding in South Carolina. Oh, and I would, uh, I'll, I'll do it in my, uh, honorable mention, but yeah. Um, last chance you shout out, uh, coach and, and all those guys. That's a, that's a good pick. That, that is a very liked show. Um, I have an official pick, but you can go Taylor. Cause you're yeah, not- I'm going to just run down a quick list here uh, to get me to my pick. Uh, there are only, there are only uh, four people that have ever won the Grammy for album of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Those people are Frank Sinatra, obviously a legend. Stevie wonder shout out to Stevie, tremendous musician. Paul Simon, incredible. I mean, what, what can you say? What can't you say about Paul Simon? Uh, and then Taylor Swift. And I, at this point, I, I'm assuming if you listen to the show, you know there is some affinity on the show for Taylor Swift. Uh, and for her to win another you know, Grammy for Album of the Year and be one of only four people and the only woman to ever win it three times, I would say is an accomplishment worthy of the Nick Cannon Medley Maryland Person of the Week. And continues to define her as, you know, one of the voices of our generations, if not the greatest, you know, musician of our generation, both in her critical uh, standing and her ability to win awards and her ability to make a lot of money. So, Taylor <laughs> Swift, there it is. You were worried I was coming for it. That's why uh, yeah, no, you I go not. first. I, I was not. I, I, I realized you were probably pretty distracted this weekend, so you weren't tracking the Grammys as much, so I didn't think you were going to. I, I did see that that she had won that, so big shout-out to her. But yep. we know what she's about. Um, yep. Circling back, I have to do this. I may have picked them like six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, whatever. I feel like 2021 just belongs to them. I, I'm just going to continue to take because it just doesn't get old. I'm taking tag team. I'm taking Geico. I'm taking scoop. There it is. I, I can't stop. I, I just cannot stop singing it. Um, I can't stop after a few bevies. I can't stop tweeting it. It's my favorite thing ever now. Like if you see me out there tweeting some sort of scoop, there it is tweet. I'm probably a few deep and I'm enjoying myself having a time in my life. And that's thanks to that commercial. Um, I just, I can't stop. I, I'm not, I'm not complaining either. I love it. I love every second of it. Commercial doesn't get old. RDT. Uh, my honorable mention is going to be uh, two friends because two friends. I, I drove about a thousand miles in three days driving to and from Myrtle Beach for a wedding. And the entire eight hour, eight and a half hour ride back was just big booty remixes. So need another one, need a bad. Um, Again, I think we're a month away. Eight and a half hours flies by when you're listening to nothing but but Big Booty remix. It's so good. It, it, it it's is so and freaking like, good. And I've been I've been listening more to their like regular music, and now I just have a playlist of that, and that's been like my go-to like workout music or whatever I'm doing. Like it is so solid, and I feel like I feel like Two Friends is what Chainsmokers wishes they were. I'm just shooting the shot yeah. at Chainsmokers. I was listening to Chainsmokers on better. the way. Uh, Chains, way I don't know. Chainsmokers are good. Too, closer, too, closer, too still. Good. Closer bangs. The question closer is, bangs. is: is closer the Chainsmokers doing, or is closer Halsey's doing? We've seen how we if, see how that's gone the last few years. If you need, I think it's a take that has to be talked about. 
I will true. simp so hard for Halsey if need be. That is my. You're not getting no fight from us. Uh, yeah. yeah. Two people okay, who pro, have seen pro her Halsey, up pro Halsey and personal. Yes, Halsey, tremendous. One of the great mic flippers in the history of live performance. I mean, that That's true. was ridiculous. The way she flipped that mic in her hand the entire time. She, she, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Mic flipping I is really the best word we can. really don't know how she was it doing is, what she was doing. She finagles the mic around her hand, spins it and things like Ooh, you're while she's dancing. Right now, boys. And just, it was not <laughs> It was wild. Camera's getting a little foggy concert. here. Yeah, I need yeah, a she cigarette. She was tremendous in concert. Uh, I have two quick honor. Unless you have any more, RDC. I feel like I'm cutting you off there. No, no, go. For, nope, all you. Uh, I have two quick ones. Uh, first, I have to give a shout out to uh, my guy Sasha Sarovsky, head coach of Maryland soccer. Gary quickly touched on there. 400 wins at the University of Maryland. One of the best soccer, college soccer coaches of all time, and a great dude. So shout out to him for that milestone that happened on Thursday. And then I have one more, boys. And this is gonna. I don't know if this is gonna work, but I'm gonna try to. Hmm. I got it in my ears pretty good. Yep. I think it's going to carry through. I think that's going to carry through. The CBS College Basketball song couldn't be more fucking back this week. That thing is going to crank for three weeks. It is one of the best times of the sports year, and that song is a fuego. You want to talk about Chainsmokers and Two Friends? Come up with that. (laughs) Come up with that, Chainsmokers. Why why are we not remixing that song? Why are these these sports – Intro songs not being remixed. Those should be in every Big Booty mix. Shout out to Big Booty Man, by the way. Correct. Salute. Yeah, salute um, to Big Booty yeah, Man. Salute. Damn it, I meant I meant to memorize or try, at least write down whatever they, some of the stuff they say the, at the, the end. The late, the probably the most recent ones, probably the best one. Yeah, and <laughs> so I wanted to slip it. I wanted to start slipping it in a like normal conversation. His absolute dump truck all over town. Salute to Big Booty Man. When I was listening to it, I was like, this is this is art. This, forget all the mixing and editing. This is the real we, winner. This is why I come. Big, big, big booty man. He needs the men. He needs the women and the children to join. You come us. for the songs. You stay for the monologue at the you end. Stay for the monologue at the end. I can't yeah. wait for the next monologue. I mean, I think I'm looking forward to that more. But yeah, CBS, CBS. I guess now a Turner too. Uh, the tournament, the tournament music. True TV. True yeah. Cue yeah, the cue the what channels True TV yeah, True and TV and how many episodes of Impractical Champions oh, yeah. before <laughs> before this comes on, uh, and after that's like. With, if this was on MTV, it would be 60 episodes of ridiculousness followed by the NCAA tournament, followed by 60 episodes of ridiculousness. Uh, so that's the Nick Cannon Medley Maryland People of the Week. And I'll, Gary Williams, he's also on there. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll throw in um, I'll throw in Ovi. He passed uh, Phil Esposito tonight for sixth uh, all time. So 176 away. Yep. So just have to give that quick shout out. You know, we know what Ovi does. He scores. That's he what scores. he does. So he does. Um, I give you guys the floor. Do you want to go off? And you wanted to go off at the Sabers. I don't know if you still want to do that. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that that was going to be a go off king, but I felt like I was like I almost have to talk about how bad the Buffalo Sabers are at hockey. What they were doing last night, like when they played the Caps, was just one of the more embarrassing displays of sporting effort that I've ever seen in my life. Um, you, there's the the clip that went viral of the of, of TJ Oshu just kind of skating through four people that just look drunk and have no idea what they're doing. Um, and then, you know, Nick Backstrom kind of cleans up a rebound there for a goal, but the whole game as a, as a, as a whole, like uh, it's, there's just nobody upstairs for all 20 of their guys. I, I honestly expected to wake up and hear that their coach had been fired this morning, if not fired by the time I went to bed last night, that's how ugly the performance they put on was. But um, you know, 
Buffalo Sabres, like they've been reeling for like what close to 15 years since like the Maxime Finnegan off days. The whole the hull. Well, I guess that was their last big one, right? The the yeah, that was the last big one. They had a really good team in the late OOS that just couldn't get anything done in the playoffs, but they fell apart pretty quickly. So um, weird about a Buffalo team that does. Yeah. That. I didn't expect to actually put on a little rant there. I don't know if it's a rant per se. I just want to say those guys are a fucking joke. There you absolutely have it. Mm. The Buffalo Sabres, bad at hockey. Bad at hockey. Bad I can't hockey. say I watched uh, the game, but the record speaks for itself. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. So, um, I, I have nothing. I, I, we, we've, we've covered a lot here. Um, it's a, we, we ramped it up this week. I feel like the last few weeks we've gone – at times about how there's not a ton going on. There's not a lot going on. Free agency, Orioles continue to move towards opening day. Terps are in the NCAA tournament. Shout out to the uh, the women's basketball team as well, number two seed in the NCAA tournament. And Brenda Freeze, shout out Brenda Freeze. Yeah, they score like crazy. They score like 91 points a game. So they want some offense. They hired her on the day they won the national championship, didn't they? Uh, it was like right after, in 2002. I think I, my morning paper of the Terps winning the national championship in the lower right-hand box is like Marilyn hires Brenda Freeze. It might be. I can't remember. And her name wasn't Freeze. Was it, That's right. I, I, I can't remember if it's that Tuesday after. You might be right. It's in my room I at my parents' house. So, uh, Shout out to your mom. Yes. Happy birthday, mom. Yeah. Happy birthday. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Shout out to them. Uh, they're going to be very competitive in this tournament in San Antonio. Men's bubble in Indianapolis. Women's bubble. In, uh, in San Antonio. So two kind of classic Final Four cities. San Antonio is a random city that will host it in Alamo Dome, and then Indianapolis is a go-to for the NCAA because they kind of live there. So um, should be on. Cannot wait for the basketball. Um, and I hope everyone enjoyed the interview with Gary Williams. Thanks to Coach for coming on the show. Thanks once again to Jimmy's Seafood for sponsoring the pod. I know the Jimmy's Seafood account been very happy about Duke's demise, as have we. So um, shout-out to them dunk it on their grave a little <laughs> bit make sure to follow everyone here from the pod you can follow banks at barstool banks you can follow rdt at e d i t t i 22 you can follow myself at taylor smythe 10 you can follow the podcast at x52 podcast on twitter and instagram make sure spotify apple whatever it is uh however you rate and review give us a review give us a rating and uh make sure to spread the word about the x52 podcast really pray to appreciate everyone listening and we will see you next time on the exit 52 podcast presented by jimmy seafood